Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to the book of Acts. Book of Acts. Thank you, Brother Baker. I appreciate that this morning. Book of Acts, chapter 1. Young people, we're glad that you're here. We're going to dismiss you to your junior church time. And while us older folks are looking for our scripture. So let's have a word of prayer. We'll dismiss them. Father, we love you. We thank you for each and every one that's here today. We pray you bless these young people as they go back to their junior church time. Lord, may they hear the word of God and apply it to their lives. May it change them and help them. I pray, Lord, you be with our workers, fill them with thy Holy Spirit, we pray, and bless those that remain right here in the auditorium that we'd receive much from the Word of God. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Young people, you are quietly dismissed. The rest of us turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read one verse, then we're going to jump to chapter 2 and read a few verses there. And so we get the context of the message this morning, the presence, the presence of the local church. And of course, the presence of the local church is the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Lord uh, put all this together. I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of when we uh, schedule the special music, Brother Baker or Cindy this morning, we plan that a couple months ahead. Um, we want to give them ample time to practice, and so we, we take it and we plug it all into the services, and often we, we try to get a couple songs that are similar in theme and put them in the same service, so we kind of have a theme and, and uh, that we're th- meditating on the same thoughts throughout the service. And and so I did not know two months ago that Brother Baker and the message on the Holy Spirit would line up like that. The Holy Spirit does that. The Lord does that. And so I'm thankful that we, uh, that we have the Spirit of God to teach us and to guide us. It's His church. It's Christ's church. And it's His Spirit that is the superintendent of it. And we'll look at that this morning. The presence in the local church. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ has taken the disciples outside of Jerusalem. It is one week before Pentecost. It is 43 days since the death of Jesus Christ and 40 days since his resurrection. They will simply... They will soon uh, say goodbye to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse uh, 9, we, or verse 9, we see that he is caught up into the clouds. Verse 11, there's angels that say, Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken from you up into the heavens, so shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go. But as the Lord is about to leave this earth, he gives some instructions about the coming of his Holy Spirit. They were to return to Jerusalem and to wait for his presence. And the Bible says, when he comes, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now jump over to chapter 2. In chapter 2, we read more about this, and when it did come, seven days later on the day of Pentecost, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Look down to verse 14 now. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, 
I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's ask God's help this morning. Father, we need your help. Lord, as we continue thinking about the local church, Lord, we must understand that we cannot function as a church without your Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us, and filling us. There'll be no power. There'll be no presence. There'll be no true worship without your Spirit. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we will learn today from the Word of God the importance of the Spirit of God, not just personally, but corporately in a church setting. So, Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need your help, and may the Spirit of God help each one of us. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible clearly teaches throughout that the Holy Spirit of God is essential to the life of a believer. Uh, We're going to look in a few moments more specifically at the life of the local church. But we, we understand this as, as uh, we've been studying through the local church and what it means to be a church, that a church is made up of its people. It's an assembly of called out believers, those who have mutually put their faith in Jesus Christ, trusted him for salvation, made a public profession of their faith after they've repented of their sins and turned to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. The wages of sin is death, but, listen to this, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You might say I'm narrow-minded, but I'm going to tell you this, truth is always narrow-minded. Two plus two is four, that's narrow-minded thinking, but it is truth. And so as we adhere to the word of God, we understand there are certain truths that we hold dear that we must not waver from, or else we are not truly a biblical, Bible-preaching church. I want you to think this morning of some of the things that the Holy Spirit has done for your life personally. We know, first of all, he's an encouraging spirit. John chapter 14, verse 26 says that he is called the comforter, when the comforter is come. And we are excited to know that in times of sorrow and stress, we can have the Holy Spirit to comfort us and help us through those difficult times. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 reminds us he's an empowering spirit. He has come to give power for the evangelization of the world through God's local church. He is an enlivening spirit. Second Peter says we are quickened by his spirit. Quickened means to make alive. Listen, understand this. You say, well, I, I believe in God. I'm a God-only kind of guy. I don't believe in the Trinity. I, I believe in only God. And I've heard people say that very thing. You are saved by the spirit of God. It is his work in your life that has changed you and converted you. Uh, and listen, we are saved by the finished work of Calvary. Make no doubt about it. But without, without the Holy Spirit, uh, we would not know who Christ was. We would not be convinced in our hearts of the need of a Savior. Faith would never have been ignited in the first place if not for the Holy Spirit of God convicting us and drawing us to the Son of God. He is an enlivening spirit. He is an enlightening spirit. John chapter 16 teaches us that he will guide us into all truth and that his word is truth. He is there to illuminate the scriptures. We know from John chapter 3 that he saves us. 
The Bible says, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. He is not a child of God. He cannot be born again. You must come through the water, a physical birth, and the spirit, a spiritual birth. He saves us. He seals us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise under the day of redemption. We are sealed. We have his mark upon us. He sets us apart. In Acts chapter 13 and 14, we read of the apostle Paul as he is set apart by the church to go and do missionary work as God has set him and used him for his glory. He sets us apart. He sanctifies us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, we are sanctified by the spirit of God. He is our conviction. John 16 verse 8 says he will reprove the world of sin. Hey, thank God for that voice in your heart that says you're doing wrong. He said, oh, I'm so tired of feeling the guilt and the shame. Quit sinning. It's that simple. But thank God for the still small voice, the spirit of God that stirs us and, and pricks our heart when we've done wrong. And he's trying to draw us back to the Lord. Bring us to a place of repentance where we might get our sin right. He is a reproving spirit. He, he convicts us. He, he comforts us. He is our courage. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind and of power. He is our courage. He is our converter. Think about that. He said, well, I'm already converted. Are you? The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 16 to Peter, upon this, church, uh, upon this rock I will build my church. Just a couple of verses later, Peter, uh, Jesus says, I must go up to Jerusalem. And he, Peter said, not so, Lord. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God. And Peter's got a little bit of a rebellious streak going on, and he's pushing back against the Lord. And the Lord said this, Peter, when you are converted, what's the Bible saying? Every day there's things that need to change in our lives. Every day there's things that we can grow in and we can become better in and we can be forgiven of and God can chip away some of the things that are not necessary in our lives. And, and so every day we can be converted by the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Spirit of God is not some mystical force in this world. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity of God. So many times we refer to the Holy Spirit as it. But he is a he. He is a person. And he is that presence in your life that will never leave you nor forsake you. The Apostle John reminds us when he is come, not when it is come. Sometimes I know it just flows out of our mouth in the English language. When we talk about the Spirit of God, we say it. No, no, he is a person. He is a he. Sometimes a lady is expecting a child. And uh, Jessica Bergsma's expecting right now. And, and maybe they know, but I don't know if they're having a boy or a girl. I, I don't know. And so sometimes, how many, how many times do you hear somebody say, when are you having it? When are you having it? If we knew it was a boy, we'd say, when are you having him? Or when are you having her, if it was a girl? We do that with the Holy Spirit, too. He is a person who deserves our reverence and our respect. I gave you 12 things that he just does for us personally. I want to take a moment this morning to think about what does he do in the local church? Now, some of this, obviously, is overlap. Some of this is something that we'd all have in common for when he does it for us personally, he's doing it in his church. We are the church. We are his people. But I want to draw some things that he does corporately for the church. I think there's some evidences we need to examine in our local church. I'm talking about Bethel Baptist Church this morning.
I want to give you four evidences that God's Holy Spirit is at work. How do we know? How can we be assured that it's holy? So, well, God's always working, isn't he? Is that true? The Lord Jesus Christ went from village to village, and the Bible says there's one village he came upon. It says he did not many works there because of their unbelief. There's a lot of things in our life that hinder the work of God. Some will say, well, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. Yes, he can do whatever he wants. It doesn't mean he does do whatever he wants. Somebody made that illustration to me once, and they said, well, I just believe that God can do whatever he wants. And I said, yes, I believe that God can take a mountain, turn it upside down, spin it like a top if he wants, but he doesn't. Just because God can doesn't mean he will. We have to be very careful in not mixing that up. And so we look at what the Holy Spirit does in the church, and we say, well, isn't God always working? The Bible says this is what he will do, and I'm here to tell you today that when our hearts aren't right and there's sin in our lives and we are hindering him as a church, God does not always work in those ways. So what are some evidences? Number one, a worship that experiences his presence. A worship that experiences his presence. Understand this. When you stepped into the presence of an Old Testament king, you were to fall prostrate. You were to give him worship. Now we say that just sounds like blasphemy because worship is only reserved for God. Understand that there are different types of worship. The word worship means to direct your affection towards something. That's what it means. The, word, the, the root of the word W-O-R comes from the word kiss or to show affection, to kiss towards. Like you're blowing a kiss to God almost. Worship is to direct our affection. And so I remember years ago uh, going down to the courthouse here in Simcoe and, and, and watching something that was, somebody was getting a business license or something, I can't remember, and when they were addressing the, the council and the mayor, they had, to, they had to say this, they had to say, your worship. Well, I didn't like it. That really bothered me. I, I didn't like your worship, your worship, your worship, your honor if it's a judge. But understand this, worship, what it means is to get into the presence and to react to, to direct your affection to. And if we are truly going to worship God, Jesus made this very plain. The woman at Samaria said, well, up in these mountains, our ancestors say that they can meet with God and they can worship God. And God, Jesus said this, God is a spirit. And what's he implying by that? If we take the whole context, he's saying God's not just in these mountains. God is everywhere. He's a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you can truly enter into the very presence of God and worship him. When we worship God, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is to know that we've been in his presence. Let me ask you, how does that affect you? Every time you pray, the Bible says you can go boldly into the throne room of grace. Well, that's just figurative talk. If you believe that, you're not truly praying. I want to know that I can get in very present. Listen, if God is a spirit, he's not bound by flesh and blood and walls. You'll remember the Lord Jesus Christ when he ascended from the grave. Mary stood before him and, and he said, touch me not for I have not yet ascended into my father. But just the, later that night, he walked right through a wall into the presence of the disciples, entered the room. The doors were shut up for fear of the Jews, it says. He walked right into the room. And he said to Thomas, go ahead and touch my hands and my side. 
wait a minute, this morning you couldn't... You know what that means? He descended to his father in between. He now had a glorified body because flesh and blood can't walk through a wall. But Jesus walked right into that realm. And into the very presence of the... Listen, what I'm trying to say is God is a spirit and he's not bound by walls or bound by finite man. We can enter into his presence and we can worship him. How do you react when you get into that presence? That's what the spirit of God does. He allows us to know we've been in the very presence of God. Number two, I believe when the Spirit of God is at work in a church, we have a worship that experiences His presence. Number two, a testimony of corporate deliverance. A testimony of corporate deliverance. Let me give you a verse for number one. I forgot. Psalm 22, verse 3. God inhabits the praise of His people. Number two, a testimony of corporate deliverance. You say, what do you mean? When the Holy Spirit is at work, people's lives are changed. And as a church, each one of us should have a testimony of how God changed our lives. This is why I was saved when I was a little kid. Well, then praise God for what he's kept you from. The things that he has saved your life from. The paths that you did not go down. The road that you did not take. Because you were saved by the grace of an almighty God who loved you and kept you. There's some here today say, I was a drunkard. I was a drug addict, and God changed my life. Listen, when the Holy Spirit is at work in a church, people's lives change. We see that evidence all through the book of Acts. How many times do we read of somebody that was down and out, filled with spirits or filled with sin, and God changed their life? That is the testimony of the Holy Spirit working in the church. Listen, we are not here to seek the miracle, but when we seek God... He sends a miracle. Let me say that again. We are not here to seek a miracle. But when we seek God, he sends his miracle. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and pray, I will heal their land. God works when we seek him. Here's the third evidence that the Holy Spirit is working Number three, a people who are being refined. I I tried to find words that could keep this short without a big explanation. People are being refined. You're growing in grace every day. You're changing, like Peter being converted. God is chipping away some of the hard parts of our heart, and he's replacing them with his spirit, and, and we're growing in his grace and in his mercy and his love toward one another. The spirit of God is ever changing and maturing the believer who is submitted to him. When the spirit of God is at work in a local church, people are growing. Are we growing? Listen to this. When we come to church and we sing the songs and we listen to the sermon, and we return home unchanged, we have simply done church. We are not being the church. We've done church. Like we've run our errands on a Monday morning. I've been to Walmart, and I've been to the dry cleaners, and I went to the grocery store, and on Sunday I went to church. No, we want to come and worship. We kind of come and meet with God. We want to come and allow the Word of God to change us as we submit to Him. Number four... Proof of his evidence or evidence of his spirit at work in the local church, a manifestation of his might or power in ministry. And ye shall receive 
power. Folks will get saved. Ministries will grow and expand and God will be reaching into our community and reaching people through the power that rests upon his people called by his name. That's the evidences of the Holy Spirit at work. But let me share some things this morning. And I, I'm going to be out of time very quickly. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through the very first two points very, very quickly. Then we're going to stop on the fourth because I think it's what God wants me to talk about this morning. Notice some things that the Holy Spirit does for the local church. Number one, he is the superintendent. He is the superintendent. He said, so what does that mean? Maybe I could say it this way. He is the steward of the local church. A steward is one that takes the possession of somebody else and administers it. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We know that, Colossians chapter 1. He has been, all things have been put under his feet. He is the head of all things that consist. He is the head of the church. The Bible says he is to have the preeminence in the church. We are here to glorify Jesus Christ. He died for the church. The Holy Spirit is in place to make sure that all takes place. When the Holy Spirit comes along and pricks your heart, what he is doing is he's not saying, you need to worship me. He's saying, you need to worship Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 15, he will not speak of himself, but he shall testify of me when the Holy Spirit has come. That is his job, to draw us to Jesus Christ, to point us to the Father, that God might be worshipped in spirit. And that's exactly what that verse means. In spirit and in truth, we are guided by the Spirit to worship Jesus. He is the superintendent of the local church. Number one, I believe he protects the church. The Holy Spirit protects the church. He gives us a spirit in our heart that helps us to understand what is right and what is wrong. Uh, who, who is right and who is wrong? Acts chapter 5, we were reminded of Ananias and Sapphira. The Bible says they sold a parcel of land and they, they sold it and said to the church, we are giving you all the money, but instead kept back a portion for themselves. Notice what the scripture says. Read with me in verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all that heard these things. Ananias stood before the apostles and said, we have given all. And the Holy Spirit said to Paul or Peter right away, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. Ananias, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? Wasn't it yours under your power? You could do with it what you wanted. You didn't have to give it all if you didn't want to, but why did you say you did? And the Holy Spirit of God put in Peter's heart what was going on. I'm here to tell you, the superintendent of the church, the Holy Spirit, he is here to protect our church. I remember several years ago, a young man came into our assembly and he began to come to church pretty faithfully. He had fallen off a roof and he had a terrible scar. And he had brain surgery to leave it, and it had caused some damage to his brain. How many of you know Satan kicks you while you're down? And this young man had been altered, and as a result, the devil had attacked him. 
He was religious, but he wasn't saved. Didn't know the Lord as his Savior. I remember after a while, people were coming to me and saying, Pastor, have you spent much time with Peter? I said, no, I've, I've got a visit scheduled with him this week on Tuesday. They said, yeah, there's something not right. There's something spiritual going on. Three, four, five, a dozen people would come. Pastor, there's something not right with Peter. There's something spiritual going on. That was the Holy Spirit telling every member, be careful, be careful, be careful. God protects his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the superintendent of the church carrying out the work of Jesus Christ and his desires in our midst. He protects his church. Number two, he provides training. Turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we're going to go very quickly. Verse 13, the Bible says of, of the Holy Spirit, how be it when he is the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Notice this. We're talking about he provides training. Number one, the Bible gives governance, but the Spirit gives guidance. How many of you believe with me today that this is our only rule for faith and practice? If I were to get up and say, listen, here's what I think, guys. Um, listen, I believe I, got, I had a dream last night. And God said that we're only going to do church the third Tuesday of every month. And instead of the Lord's table, we're going we're gonna to have a full roast beef dinner. That's going to be our Lord's table. And instead of doing baptism, we're going we're gonna to do away at the baptistry tank. And we're going to do some imagery thing. We'll have some guy take off his black coat and put on a white coat. We'll do that instead of baptism. And we'll just do this, all this imagery stuff. And, and, and because God gave me a dream, he said, preacher, you're crazy. We open up the word of God, and that's our rule for faith and practice. And the Bible says, right there in, in John chapter 16, verse 13, Howbeit when the he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He'll illuminate the word of God. He will teach us. And Jesus said in John chapter 17, thy word is truth. If the spirit's going to guide us into truth, it must be the word of God. So the word of God gives governance. The spirit of God gives guidance. Notice number two, as we're talking about he provides training. Number two, Jesus gives headship. The Spirit teaches us how to heed. One of the hardest things to do in this life is to submit, to give heed to leadership. But Jesus is the head of the church. We know that. Look at it says in verse 14, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. The Bible says very plainly that we are to glorify Jesus in the local church. We are to lift him up, and the Spirit guides us into that. He helps us to worship him. God is supreme, and the Spirit teaches us how to submit. James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What I'm saying today is that the Holy Spirit protects us, and he provides training for us to guide us into proper worship of God. That's what he does. He's the superintendent of the church. Number two, he sets apart, and he sends. He sets apart, and he sends. Write this down. I don't have time. I want to get to the last point. Number one, he sets apart. Acts chapter 13. The Bible says there were those dwelling at Antioch 
It names several of them. Niger and, and several men that were in that church, Parthius. And it said unto them by the Holy Spirit, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work thereto I have sent them. And so the church prayed over Paul and Barnabas and they sent them out to do the work of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the local church. He recognizes those that are in place of service, those that God wants to use, and he puts it on the heart of the church that we together might send them out. Frank, could I just stop for a moment here? And I didn't want to spend time on this, but I, I, I think it behooves me to say this this morning. I am burdened and concerned about the next generation. My wife and I have been praying and, and spent a lot of time yesterday talking about what can we do practically to encourage more young people to give their lives to serve God. More that would go and, and preach and teach. I, I, I got thinking about this. I don't remember ever, Brother Cody, you went to Bible college. And if we were to say to somebody at Bible college, hey, what, are, what is it you want to be? What do you think God wants you to do? 99% of the time they say, I want to be a pastor or I want to be a missionary. When was the last time you heard somebody say, I want to be an assistant pastor? I want to be a faithful deacon. That's, that's what God put on my heart. I, 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 came, I came to Bible college because I, I, I'm training and I, want to, I just want to be a good Sunday school teacher. I want to go home and support my pastor. Sometimes our pride makes us aspire to these things. But God has need for all of these things in the local church. Pray with me as that God would set more apart. And not only would he set them apart, but that people would submit to it. That we'd have more people that would say, God, I, I want to serve you. I want to do something for you. I think each one of us this morning could take some time and ask that question of our hearts. God, what is it that you'd have me to do? And submit to it today. He sets apart and he sends with his power and with his presence in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And in Matthew 28, he said, Lo, I am with you always, teaching all men to observe all things, and know that I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. We have his presence, and we have his power. But I want you to look at this last thing this morning, and we'll, we'll spend a little time on this. What does the Spirit do for the church? He superintends the church. He sets apart and seals and sends from the church. Number three, he sanctifies the church. He sanctifies us individually as believers. That means to make us holy. Sanctify is very similar to the word set apart. But in Acts chapter 13, they used the phrase set apart. It was something different. It was set apart for service. Sanctify means to be set apart unto God. To be made holy, he purifies his church. I think this is an important thing that we'll, we'll set on this morning. Understand this. When he sanctifies, it is a matter of personal holiness. A matter of personal holiness. Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle... Of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit. It is the Spirit's work in our lives to sanctify us, to make us holy. 
unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despised, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. The Bible, verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, implies that we, when we despise sanctification, we are despising his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit works in concord with the Word of God, that it might wash us and clean us and set us apart and make us holy. Peter was quoting the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, Be ye holy as I am holy. That's the importance of the Holy Spirit in the church. Let me say this. I think too often we've shut off. I don't know if you'd call it a receptor or if we've closed our heart. Or we have just said, I will not be moved today by the Spirit of God. To the point where we miss out on growing in personal holiness. Where we are no longer convicted of sin because our heart is hard. It's so easy to get caught up in something. Thank God for His Spirit that will prick our conscience. And drive us to purity and holiness. It is a personal holiness. If Christ's church is to be holy, each one of us must be clean and pure and holy. If you have personal sin, deal with it personally. If sin arises publicly in the church, we must deal with it publicly. The Holy Spirit must be allowed to do His work. It is about a personal holiness. Listen to this. Now, these are going to go together, and it's important that we follow. Number two, personal holiness leads to a practical holiness. So what do you mean by that? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That's the very definition of holiness. Presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, it is your reasonable service. But the next verse gives us a practical holiness. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In other words, we have to live out in our lives what's going on in our hearts. It's it's wonderful to get alone with God and to read your Bible and to pray and to know His presence corporately in the worship of a church, but we must also live it out. Listen, listen. If if you say, I I spend a lot of time in prayer and Bible study and and God is so sweet to me, don't be the most miserable person in the community. There ought to be some joy in your life. Be honest, have integrity. Be an encourager. Be a helper. Live out that holiness practically. Listen, it ought to change the way we we act, change the way we dress. The Bible talks about modest apparel, being modest. It ought to change the way you talk. It's hard to, to, to believe that somebody is living a holy life when they're talking filthy. There's a practical aspect to holiness that comes from a personal holiness. 
Now listen, here's, this is important. This is important. Number three, a perfected holiness. He said, wait a minute, are you talking about being sanctified to the point where we live perfect lives? No, 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 no. As long as we're in this flesh, we will sin. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, the flesh that's warring against my spirit is causing me to do the things I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I am doing. It's, I'm just, I'm a mess. All the, I'm fighting this flesh. I'm praying. John said this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We wouldn't need that verse if we quit sinning when we got saved. But thank God for his cleansing power. But I'm talking about a perfected holiness, and here's what I mean by that. When we are living a personal holy life, and it plays out in practical holiness where people can see Christ in us, when a church gets filled with the Spirit of God, it does one of two things. Number one, it brings conviction to the sinners around us to the point of repentance. Number one, or number two, it drives them out of the local church. You say, well, is that a good thing? Personally, I, I hope they get saved. That'd be the desire of my heart. But this I also know. If God removes them, he's protecting his church. And I'll accept it. You see, when a practical holiness leads to a perfected holiness, and think about this. Some, somebody said this. If you, if you get the worst sinner in town to walk into a church full of holy people, they're going to feel uncomfortable. I mean, church ought to be a place where we love people. We greet them at the door with a smile. We encourage them. We want them. Hey, let me come. Let me sit with you in church. Let me encourage you. But listen, if we are living holy lives, a personal holiness and a practical holiness, the Spirit of God will move in such a place to the point where they'll feel uncomfortable. And they'll either get their hearts right with God or they'll leave. Because the church is a place that God wants to use and minister in his power to go out and reach a lost and dying world. And he can do that when it's clean, when it's pure. Let me say this. Here's the fourth thing, and I'm done. We have to be very careful that a practical holiness never does away with a personal holiness. So what do you mean by that? We have become so good at playing the game of church that we can check all the boxes to what looks holy. And our hearts can be far from God. We start out with a personal holiness and it starts living out in our lives. And at some point along the line, we realize, hey, I can do all of that stuff that makes me look holy without reading my Bible, without praying, without having a walk with God, without having a relationship with him. And we end up doing it for 50 years. And God's church has no power. God's church doesn't see people saved. That's the danger of becoming good at practical holiness. You say, what is that called? It's called this, Pharisaical holiness. The Pharisees knew what it was like to walk a walk and talk a talk, but they didn't live a life. Instead, they put burdens on everybody else, and it says they wouldn't even lift one of their fingers to help. They put burdens on men. That's what a Pharisee does. 
He wants to stand before the crowd and thank God he's not like everybody else when his life is falling apart and his heart is as black as sin. When we become real good at practical holiness and not personal holiness, we become Pharisees. Jesus didn't have very many kind words about the Pharisees, did he? You generation of vipers. You bunch of snakes. He says, you put those phylacteries on your head and you put those rings on your garment to let everybody know that you're a Pharisee. He says, you put a face on when you're fasting so everybody knows you're holy. But you're nothing but dead man's tomb, dead man's bones and a whited sepulcher. It's all you are. We went to Israel. We saw those whited sepulchers that Jesus was talking about, didn't we, Paul? The whole, the hills of Jerusalem. On the outside of the city walls, all around, is just white, white tombs. I stood up there on the Mount of Olives, and we were looking at Jerusalem, and I thought, now I know what Jesus was talking about. If ever a graveyard looked beautiful, that did. It was incredible. I mean, the architecture on the little, because all the tombs are above ground. The, The ground is rocky. It's a mountain. So they build these crypts above the ground and they put architecture on them and scrollings and beautiful stonework. And it's, 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 if you didn't know it was a graveyard full of dead men's bones, it's beautiful. And they whitewash them. And Jesus says, you're like those whited sepulchers. But inside you're just full of dead men's bones. That's the word for the Pharisees. Those who live a practical holiness but not a personal holiness. Would to God that our hearts would line up with our lives that our lives would line up with our hearts. Because then and only then can we worship God in spirit and in truth. And will his Holy Spirit be able to work through us? That is the prayer of my heart today. That God would allow me to walk with him. You say, what do you mean? Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. Just because somebody put a name pastor in front of my life doesn't mean I'm not flesh. I echo what Paul says, the things I should be doing, I'm not, and the things I ought to be doing, I should be. I'm a wretched man. Struggling like everybody else. I plague and plead God, plead with God. I don't just want a practical holiness, I want a personal holiness. I want to be right. You say, how do we get there? I apologize, I don't have any more time. Next week. We're going to talk about the prayer of the church. The prayer of the church was a group of 120 that went into an upper room and prayed and waited for the Holy Spirit. He will change your life, and you can have him and know him today if you'll trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. He'll put his Spirit into your life, and he'll change you forever if you'll just put your faith in him. Let's bow. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Help us, we pray. Speak to our hearts. God, would you help us to be personally holy, set apart unto God. Oh, Father, speak to our hearts. Help us to walk with you. Help me to walk with you. Lord, we know how to play the game. Lord, may it come from our hearts. Lord, we'll thank you in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano's going to play. God has spoke to your heart. You pray right now. Respond to what God is doing in your heart and life. Ask God to help you to live holy.